Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. This is from the first chapter of Philippians, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. At this point, I'll call Pastor Billy up. And let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together this morning to hear from you. Lord, I pray for Billy as he shares the word you've put on his heart. Give him courage to challenge us and encourage us, Lord. I pray for the rest of us in the seats that our hearts would be open and our minds would be open to the word you have for us today. May we all leave this place encouraged and closer to one another and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. We are, uh, again, going through the book of Philippians. One quick note, um, and this is my fault. I left in the announcements. We moved uh, Quorum Deo intro to the last Sunday of September. So if you're interested in coming to Quorum Deo intro and you're like, I didn't know about it, don't worry. It's not today. It's going to be on the last Sunday. That's not Lynette's fault. That's mine. So uh, just a quick note there for you. So we are continuing on through the book of Philippians. We just started last week. So if you did not grab one of those uh, Philippian scripture journals, and you'd like one, they're on the connect table in the back. You can just go snag one if you want one, and we will uh, have those available throughout the uh, time we're in the book of Philippians. So we are in chapter one still, just jumping into Paul's greeting, and he's talking about gratitude and thankfulness, which made me think of, of course, Thanksgiving. See, my wife's favorite holiday is bar none Thanksgiving, right? More than anything else, more than her own birthday, she loves Thanksgiving. She just loves the tradition of gathering with friends and family around a lovingly prepared meal and sharing gratitude. And we both love Thanksgiving. We have traditions, as I'm sure all of you do as well, right? For me, uh, my Thanksgiving starts about three days before when I start brining my turkey and preparing it with great love and care and tenderness because I want that bird to taste good. I brine it and then I inject that bad boy with butter and get ready to baste it. It's a little overkill, I know, but it's turkey. It needs some help, right? So Hannah always loves kind of just getting everything ready. She tries to create a motif, right? We've got the tablecloth where you put handprints on it, the year and what you're thankful for and all that stuff. She's gone way overboard. One year, in fact, she made some pretty creative uh, Thanksgiving party hats. I'll throw them up on the screen for you guys to just kind of laugh at. So you've got like pumpkin pie in the top left there. Hannah, you're mashed potatoes in the middle, right? Yeah. And then there's me down at the bottom with uh, a, a whole turkey on my head. And then, yeah, there's Alistair with, what is that? Stuffing, well, of course, right? So, again, this is it for your amusement. We can pull that down before, you know, we just kind of, anyway. The point is, Hannah always 
loves this. She loves getting into it. And of course, she loves the tradition of going around and saying, what are you thankful for? You guys may have done that too, where you're all sharing what you're thankful for. And that's not necessarily new for many of us. It's a tradition that even those who don't have faith practice. One theologian talking about this idea of not having faith, but being thankful is having thanksgiving without a grantor. What he means by that is we're thankful, we're just not sure to who. And Paul, as we can see from our passage, he doesn't have that problem, not at all. Today, we're going to zoom in, we're going to look at these six verses, and my prayer is that you would be challenged towards gratitude. Specifically, here's what I want us to see. The gospel produces confident gratitude. The gospel produces confident gratitude. These verses constitute the beginning of a prayer. And prayer really should be something that is always bathed in gratitude. The the Westminster Shorter Catechism does a masterful job to remind us that gratitude is the essence of prayer. So if you don't know what a a, uh, catechism is, it's basically theology condensed to questions and answers. It's really helpful. We used to go through the New City Catechism here as a church. This is what the Westminster Catechism says regarding prayer. It says, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. I love that because it's a robust, it's a beautiful acknowledgement of God and all of his blessings that every prayer should be lined with, bathed in gratitude. So as we consider this reality that the gospel produces gratitude, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see both lessons from Paul about gratitude, and we're going to see reasons from Paul for his specific gratitude. So lessons and reasons. And we're going to see three of each, three lessons and three reasons. So let's dive in first for these three lessons and see... um, Paul's lessons on gratitude. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. The first lesson we see is perspective on gratitude. Perspective on gratitude. See, Paul has a very specific perspective, and it should grab you. Because we should notice right off the bat, he's not thanking the Philippians. Again, remember, this is a thank you letter. He's not thanking the Philippians for their kindness. He's thanking God for the Philippians. He's thanking God for them. What that means is Paul has a right perspective on his life. See, if we we flip over a couple books, we'll get to James chapter 1, verse 17, and this is what we read. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So what does that mean? It means the one who is due praise, the one that we should be grateful to, is God. If we're honest, I think many of us, we're quick to notice kindness from others, right? But we say thank you at the grocery store checkout life almost instinctively, without even thinking about it, we just say thank you. We're raised to be aware and to be thankful to others, but we often lack the Godward perspective of Paul. How often do we pray prayers of gratitude for what God has done for us? Are your prayers, friends, marked by thankfulness? Are moments of comfort, times of provision, are those moments where you practice gratitude? I think it's possible to measure the selfishness of our hearts and our prayers by the degree of thankfulness we find in them. 
See, the person who feels entitled is rarely a thankful person. Hannah and I, we've been going to Ollie's lately. Uh, If you don't know what Ollie's is, it's basically think big lots, except they scream good stuff cheap at you constantly, right? That's Ollie's. And we go in there, and the reason we like it so much is because they have an incredible kids' book section. And so we, we start looking through all these great books, and you can get them really cheap, like two bucks for an incredible book. Yeah, good stuff cheap, man. And uh, one book I saw the other day was all about different projects you could do to teach your kids, like different fun science projects. And one of them was talking about metal content in both sand and dirt. It goes like this. If you were to give me a dish of sand and tell me, hey, Billy, there's particles of iron in there. And if I started looking through it with my clumsy finger, guess what's going to happen? I'm not going to be able to find anything, right? But if you give me a magnet and I sweep through it, it's going to start to draw itself out all these little particles of iron. Think of it this way. The unthankful heart is like my finger in the sand. If it goes through the days, it doesn't discover any of God's mercies, any of God's kindness. But if we instead replace that with a thankful heart that sweeps through the day, as the magnet finds the iron so easily too, our thankful hearts start to see God's kindness, God's blessing all over the place. So are you walking through your days with perspective, right? With a Godward perspective, with a heart of gratitude. What's your perspective? We start there first, that we should have a Godward perspective, looking at the fact that every good gift, every moment of joy, all of it comes from the Lord. That's the first lesson we see. And the next lesson we see is thankful prayers. Thankful prayers. So Thanksgiving saturates Paul's prayer life. It just does. You can't can't read a Pauline prayer and not see thankfulness in it. Look at verses 3 and 4 together. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Gratitude marks Paul's prayers. Just, it does. Ian Bounds, one of history's most prevalent voices on prayer. This is what he says. He says, giving thanks, giving thanks is the very life of prayer. It is its fragrance and music, its poetry and its crown. That is absolutely Pauline. When we look at this prayer and we look at other prayers throughout Paul's epistles, you don't get the idea that gratitude is just kind of tacked on as an afterthought. You don't get the idea that this prayer is some sort of kind of just grudging duty This is someone who sees everywhere the grace of God. Paul can't help but look and see God's grace. He has to try hard to not see it, and he can't not see God's grace. He sees it in every life that has changed. He sees it in every kindness that is given, but he also sees it in every hard circumstance, every trial. And all of it, Paul never seems to come up short with thanksgiving. But here's the most challenging part of this. Look at verse 7. He says this in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Wow. Some context. We're going to learn as we read this letter that even though this is a beloved church for Paul, this church is not without its difficulties, okay? 
The Philippian church has its own struggles. See, later in the letter, we're going to catch clues that these believers, this, this church in Philippi, they're reacting to external opposition, not by strengthening their bonds of unity, not by coming together and encouraging each other, but by letting their fellowship start to fragment into these competing pockets of self-centeredness. At the very time when they should have been giving and receiving each other's support and encouragement, when hostility and pressure from the surrounding society should have driven them together, the congregation is instead hampered, marred by individuals' preoccupation with their own personal problems while ignoring others' needs. And by their grumbling against each other and their questioning of God's goodness. And all the while, Paul's encouraging them in chains. He's writing a letter, a thank you letter, for their support, where the great theme is joy, and he is in chains. Now, this is a predicament for Paul, because he's got two options, okay? Option one is death. Option two is freedom. Now, we're going to talk about that more specifically in a couple weeks, but what you need to understand is this. In a Roman society, prison is not a punishment. It's a holding place until judgment is determined. You don't get to prison as a sentence, Prison is the place that you hang out in until you're sentenced to either freedom or death, okay? So not really a great situation for Paul, yet he's grateful. He's holding his friends in his heart. He is overwhelmed with God's blessing and kindness despite his circumstances. So Coram Dale, let me ask you, does Thanksgiving saturate your prayers? If you were to look at your prayers, however great or meager they may be, does thanksgiving saturate your prayers? In evaluating our own gratitude for the grace of God, here's what I don't want to say. I don't want to just say, remember to be thankful when you pray. All right, let's pray. That's not what I want to do. I want to, I want to ask this. Is thankfulness and gratitude overflowing in every single prayer of yours, no matter your circumstances? Is it? There's a story of a pastor who was visiting Charles Spurgeon. I love to read about Spurgeon. He was the great prince of preachers, really jovial guy, loved the gospel fiercely. There was a man named Dr. Theodore Collier who went to visit him. And one day, he and Mr. Spurgeon, they said, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to get some time away, get a little bit of R&R. We're going to get out in the field, and we're going to enjoy God's sunshine. We're going to enjoy the beauties of nature. And so there they were. They were enjoying this nice day together out in nature. And Dr. Collier tells a story to Mr. Spurgeon that gets Spurgeon laughing so hard that he kind of buckles over and his sides start to shake. And out of nowhere, Spurgeon stops him and says, Theodore, we got to get down on our knees right now and let's thank God for laughter. Love that. These two happy Christian pastors knelt in the field and thanked God for his great gift of laughter. This thankfulness overflow in your prayers. And that brings us to the third lesson, joyful prayer. You see, joy fuels Paul's prayer. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. See, Paul, again, he's learned to see God's masterful hand in every moment of life, every circumstance, every blessing, the good, the bad, all of it. If you remember last week, I told you that joy, again, and I said this earlier, it's one of the dominant themes of the book of Philippians. It's this idea that permeates the book, and here's the lesson. This kind of joy that Paul's talking about, it happens no matter your circumstances. No matter if you're in prison, 
no matter if your job isn't what you hoped for, no matter if your days are difficult, no matter what your kids do that drives you nuts, you can have joy. It's a kind of joy that produces, again, grateful prayer. And it isn't just for guys like Paul who write Bible. Like Paul also, we know from Scripture, struggled with and wrestled with sin. Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 12. It was not perfect. Joy, friends, is for you too. I mean, this is what we chase, isn't it? It's why we binge watch series only to be sad when it's over or disappointed us. It's why we chase after the latest and the greatest. It's like our phones become obsolete the second we get them. It's what we look at the scale for when we weigh ourselves. It's why we post so that we can get these likes. We want a deep abiding joy. We do. There's a story of a jovial Christian man who served as an elementary school principal. His name was Mr. Rainey. And the kids loved him so much because he had this heart that just overflowed and exuded Christ. He was so joyful that one child remarked that she believed that he went to heaven every night because he was so happy every day. I know, I was reading about him like, I want Mr. Rainey to be my principal. He used a helpful metaphor about a Christian's joy, and I love this so much. Joy, he said, is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Christ is the heartbeat of joy. He's the heartbeat of joy. Throughout this book, Paul is going to be calling out to us that this joy is available to you. It's available to us, and it can overflow into every area of our lives. So we start with these lessons. Perspective. Do you have a Godward perspective? Thankful prayer. Does, does gratitude weave its way into all of your prayers and joy? Does joy fuel the way that you pray, the way that you live? But why, right? Why is Paul so thankful? Well, let's look now at these reasons for gratitude. Three reasons for gratitude. And we'll start first with the past, right? Reason number one, the past. Paul is grateful for his past partnership with the church in Philippi. He's grateful for all they've been through, all they've encountered. And this is what we read in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's grateful because of his past, everything he's been through with the Philippian church. More specifically, that they had partnered with him. Let me, let me try to help you understand the value of this partnership, right? Now, as a pastor, I've had to help my share of folks move. I don't know why, it just comes with the territory. People are like, we got to move. I know who will have to say yes to us, the pastor, right? We're going to ask that guy, hey, Billy, can you come help? Yeah, I can come. Yeah, so, you know, it just kind of comes with the territory. Now, now, let's picture it. There's a heavy sofa. It's up here. It's a heavy one. It's, got a, it's a sleeper sofa. It's 2022, and we still think these things are comfortable for some reason. It's up here, and I'm going to just try and lift it by myself. What's going to happen? It's not really going to go well, right? As humorous as that may be, at best, I'm going to hurt myself, right? That's what's going to happen. I'm not going to get very far, not without some significant pain. And so it is in the church, friends. We're supposed to partner with each other. That word here is partner. It's fellowship, right? It's the Greek word koinonia, if you've ever gotten into Greek. It's a multifaceted word. It means this, that the Philippians were partners with Paul in the message, in money, in mission and maturity. You like those M's? 
Message, money, mission, and maturity. The message. See, when the gospel message is the bedrock of the church, then the gospel not only forges a bond between us and Jesus, but between us and each other. It does. We become partners in the gospel. And for the Philippians, it meant they were willing to share both in Paul's suffering and in his ministry of defending and proclaiming the gospel. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, remember, they're in a Roman society that is anti-gospel. Gospel partnership, it's more than talk. It shows itself in service and action. If we're partners in the gospel, it's because we're partners in grace. Because the invisible spirit of Christ has pulled us, in spite of ourselves, out of the pit of self-centered reliance. Made us face the ugly reality of our guilt, of our helplessness, and drawn us to trust in Jesus. God's grace evokes our gratitude, and Christ's love ignites our love. Not only for the Lord who rescued us, but for the people who need and have received his unmerited love right alongside of us. So if you're honest, you got to admit that it's sometimes hard to say with Paul to everyone in the church, and to those sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, or on the other side of the room, I always remember you with thanks and joy. I always pray for you. I always yearn for you when we're apart. Did she slight or ignore you? Does that guy sing way too loud and off-key? Are their kids way too restless? You see, when fellow Christians' offenses and their weird habits loom large in our minds, it's because we've lost sight of the marvel that all of us who belong to Jesus are partners in the gospel and are fellow recipients of his abundant grace. To love our neighbor as ourself, and especially our Christian brothers and sisters, extensively and intensely, We need a source of love that is deeper than our own puny hearts can muster. We need the affection of Christ Jesus, imparted by his Holy Spirit, residing in us, constantly turning our gaze off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, from relying on ourselves and turning them upward towards the Lord, who showed us compassion, and then outward to those who need to experience that compassion through us. So they start there. The Philippians were partners in the message. They took the gospel seriously, but they were also generous in their giving. Again, remember, this is a thank you letter because the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus with a monetary gift, with money to support Paul and his ministry. Paul says that their generosity was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. In other words, real gospel partnership puts its money where its mouth is. It loves the church. It loves the cause of Christ. It loves the advance of the gospel so much that it doesn't shrink back from giving. We see that generosity is important. Partnering for gospel advance in our giving is good and right. But it doesn't just stop there. It continues on as it grows in both the mission and maturity. See, the Philippians had not only sent money, but they sent people. The mission is something that, again, we all carry. It's not just that we pay someone to be the professional missionary, but that we all link arm in arm to advance the gospel. They worked with Paul to advance the cause of Christ. And as they do, catch this, they grow. They grow in maturity as they move out on mission. That is to say, it's a partnership that is in it together in the long, slow process of Christian growth. 
It was, as Paul puts it in verse 5, a partnership lasting from the first day until now. See, Paul would think back and he would think of the members of the Philippian church and the faces of those who, firm, who kind of formed their first core team. And it's little wonder that he rejoices so much, even as he's writing this letter from a prison cell 10 years after his first mission, he thinks back to the Philippian jailer and his household whom he and Silas had baptized. He thinks back to this slave girl that was once demon-possessed, now clothed and in her right mind. He thinks back to the faithful, prayerful Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened in response to Paul's preaching, and doubtless there are many others. All of them, catch this, they're still praying, they're still giving, they're still continuing in partnership with Paul. It is a delight to any pastor's heart to know that those who first began continue still in partnership with the Lord through thick and thin over many years. See, real gospel partnership endures and it perseveres. It sticks with it to the end. It's not a temporary flash of excitement. It's not a temporary activity. It's the stable pattern of Christian living. It is ordinary faithfulness in the fellowship of the church. See, it's easy to pray. It's easy to give and to go once or twice when we feel benevolent, when we feel generous, when it's convenient. But the authentic partnership that the gospel creates, it keeps on praying. It keeps on giving. It keeps on going. It's the gospel work flourishing in you. So we start seeing the first reason for Paul's gratitude was his past partnership with the Philippian church. These next ones will be a little quicker. And we see next, the next reason is their future. Their future. Paul's thankful not just for what they had done, but because he knows where they are headed. Did you catch that? He's thankful not just for what the Philippian church has done, but because of where they're going. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you want a memory verse for this week, if you want to put something at the forefront of your mind, it's this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And what an incredible verse this is. Sometimes we don't know if we can keep going. Sometimes we feel like we're reaching the end of our rope. And we're running out of steam. We spent all of our energy and we are nowhere near the finish line. I'm certain you too know the doubts and misgivings that haunt your heart when you've fallen short again of the Christ-like love that you long to express. You know what the gospel calls you to. You've seen the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you know it's not quite what defines me. That last time you gossiped or you complained about that fellow believer you regretted your words almost as soon as they left your lips. Yet now you've blurted out your frustration to another person. That last time you blew up, rather than calmly or gently dealing with the fact that your wife, your son, your daughter is not yet perfect, your heart was pierced by the look of pain on your loved one's face. Yet, here you are again, inflicting the same wounds on the tender hearts of those closest to you. 
And you know the scenario, right? You know the taunts of Satan the accuser that echo in your mind after one or more failures. You call yourself a Christian? You hypocrite? You fraud? You blight on Jesus' good name? That's where this comes into play. God's sure word teaches you to reply to your prosecutor. True? Guilty as charged. But my place is in the heart of God. And it's secured not by my poor efforts to do or be good, but by Jesus' fulfillment of perfect love for the Father and of sacrificial love for all of us for whom he died. And your accusations have been answered and overcome by the blood of the Lamb shed for me. On top of that, the Almighty God who began a good work in me will take that work all the way to perfection at the day of Christ Jesus. Neither you, Satan, nor I can thwart his irresistible grace that will someday make me loving as my Savior is loving. Yeah, it's true. My sins have pained Christ's heart. And they make mine ache as well. But my sins and my selfishness and my rebellion are not strong enough to stand against his almighty spirit. So here I am having stumbled again and I will pick myself up knowing that he is the one picking me up. I resume running the race and the strength his spirit gives me and the love his son has shown me and the joy he holds out before me and lets me taste even now. Coram Deo, Paul says to us that in the end, if we are clinging to Jesus, we don't keep ourselves to the end. We are kept to the end. We don't fuel our own race. The fuel is supplied with every new mile stretching before us. He that began a good work will complete it. Jesus Christ always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts in our lives. Becoming a Christian is not a kickstart to your own best efforts. It's not, all right, you did the first thing, now the rest is up to you. You are not alone in this. Your stamina and ability and giftedness and determination and strength, those are not the measure of whether you'll finish the race of the Christian life. And thank God, the promise and the power of God is, that is what will determine how you finish. In Christ, by the Holy Spirit, God the Father will infallibly inevitably and irresistibly bring you home. And so Paul overflows with thanksgiving because he knows his work was not in vain. His beloved Philippians have not just begun well, but because they are in God's hands, the God who will see to it that they also end well, he knows he can rejoice. So Quorum Dei, remember, you are in God's hands. You don't even have to worry about, where am I going to get the stamina for tomorrow? How will I make it through these trials that I can see looming over the horizon? You are in God's hands. Believe today. Obey today. Be faithful today, and you will find what you need tomorrow when tomorrow comes. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And finally, Paul is full of gratitude because of the present. 
He's faithful and thankful because of their past partnership. He's grateful and he's thankful because he knows that God will carry them to completion in the future, but he's also grateful for right here and right now. Paul is thankful because their partnership in the gospel that's animated and enabled as it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, it leads them to real participation with him right here, right now. Look at verses 7 and 8. Again, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. They are all partakers with him of grace. Again, the word used there for partakers is the same word that he used earlier to speak about fellowship and partnership in the gospel, it means that they really share together in grace. That grace saturates their lives. It binds them to each other. And that grace results in solidarity with Paul, even in his chains. They're ready to lay down their comforts and their reputations and their very lives for the gospel in solidarity with Paul. They would link arms with him and they would defy the world, the flesh, and the devil for the sake of Christ. They'd be willing to go to the end. They were participants with Paul in his ministry. Ministry, in other words, was not something that they're content to just let Paul go on and do. They didn't say, well, he's the apostle after all. He's the professional. He's the paid provider of spiritual goods, and we're the consumers. And tragically, unfortunately, that's the default setting for so many of us, that ministry is the work of a paid professional. It's a pastor, and passive consumerism is the work of the congregation. No one told the Philippians that. They busied themselves in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. They're out in a hostile culture defending and confirming the gospel message that Paul preached. They're standing up for the truth. They're boldly defending the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They link arms with Paul, not just in suffering for the faith, but in defending and sharing it. And the Philippian church, because of this, is well-seasoned. They were well-equipped for the works of service, and so they roll up their sleeves, and they get involved in the defense and confirmation of the truth. So let me say this. If grace gets a hold of you, you will be eager to find a way to serve. Mere consumerism will never satisfy you. Grace will propel you into ministry. That isn't saying that we just we start filling our time with busyness and churchy things. It means that if grace has won our hearts, we will find ourselves looking for new faces and befriending them. We'll identify younger believers and we'll say, you know what, why don't we get together once a week over a cup of coffee and read scripture and pray together. It means we'll be praying for and sharing the gospel with our colleagues and friends. It means that we'll be practicing hospitality. We'll be opening our homes. It means giving and going, suffering and serving in the ordinary course of everyday life for the cause of the gospel. This is what happened to the Philippians. Paul sees the evidence, again, of their past partnership in the gospel. He clings to the promise of their future perseverance, and he sees that they are presently now in real ministry participation with them. Because of this, he is filled with thanksgiving. Corbdale, we have a confident gratitude, a gratitude that produces a partnership in the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Lord of the Rings and with the show, The Ring of Power, that just came out, which I'm enjoying. Some of you guys may have hated it, but I'm liking it. 
I've been thinking a lot about the first book in Tolkien's trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring. In it, Tolkien writes this thrilling story to illustrate the idea of gospel partnership. The fellowship is made up of radical diversity. You've got little, resilient, pipe-smoking hobbits with big, hairy feet from the Greenshire. You've got a few warrior men. You've got a wizard. You've got an elf with amazing archery skills and an out-from-under-the-mountain dwarf with an axe. And together, they share a common mission of defeating the forces of darkness and saving Middle-earth. They were willing to die for each other, even Boromir, right? They were willing to die for each other and for the mission. And Paul says that in the fellowship of the gospel, we recognize our differences, but we celebrate our unity in Jesus. And we commit to give ourselves for the mission of making the gospel known. So Cormdale, let me ask you, is your perspective Godward? Is your heart full of thanksgiving and joy? Are you committed out of gratitude to partner with this body and to make much of Jesus? The gospel produces confident gratitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the truth, Lord, of Jesus and what he has done. God, I pray that you would stir us, compel us to be a people who are united together. God, that it would start with a spark of gratitude in our hearts. That we could not help but see what Jesus has done for us. And that in that, Lord, we would then celebrate as we link arm in arm, loving one another, knowing that you are the one who causes us to go forward. You are the one who will bring us safely home. And so we can rejoice. We can share that hope with others and we can move forward. Thank you, Jesus, for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have. Pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.